This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi Williams. The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. This is a special Martin Luther King edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Coming up today, lots of topics to talk about. Let's take a look at some of the topics of this Martin Luther King Day special. Let's start with the media. What's going to happen as we look at 2019 down the road? As we know, they're going to pay a lot for money for sports, for NFL, and going on down the line. But... What are we looking at for the future? I have no idea. Eben, you? (laughs) (laughs) If I knew, I would be investing in whatever that was right now. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. See you later. Uh, Let's look at at least something that happened recently. New Fox, which is going to be the company that's left over after the Fox-Disney deal. We thought, many thought, that New Fox would wind up buying back the regional sports networks, the 22 regional sports networks that are out there for sale. Price tag, I don't know, 16 to $20 billion, something like that. Yankees going to buy back, yes, so we'll take that out at 5 or $6 billion, But still, a big deal, a big sports business deal. New Fox announces that we're out. We are not going to buy any of these RSNs. They're going to focus on sports and news, yes, but we are not buying back this, these RSNs. Through this process into a, a bit of a loop now, you've got Sinclair bidding on the bundle. You've got some private equities, Apollo in the mix showing some interest. Are you going to get a piecemeal approach to this? Are you going to have uh, like the Southeast go to Liberty where they already own the Braves and Comcast in, in the Midwest? This is a big, big transaction, big price tag. But now you're, you're looking at this fractured sale. It's going to be very interesting to see how this winds up proceeding because it will have a significant impact on the landscape of sports broadcast. And not only that, the, the, the clock is ticking. Once this deal is finalized. They have 90 days, I think yeah. is right, to, to, to make this deal done. It's a lot easier to sell. This is, to my money, the, the, the biggest sports business story going out right now, but it's a lot easier to sell this as one package in 90 days yeah. than it is to decide, okay, who wants the Midwest? Who wants the West Coast? Who wants the Southeast? Uh, if they do in, indeed decide to go piecemeal, which certainly seems like it's the most likely right now, that's a tough, it's just a tough thing to, to well, accomplish. The interesting right? part of this, Edmund, though, is what Fox said in the filing and multiple reasons why, but one of the reasons why they will not bid is that they feel Disney has overexposed the mm. assets. Now, that means one of the closely guarded secrets of these deals is sort of your affiliate fees and how much people are paying for these RSNs and how they're, how these contracts are constructed. Well, people have now gotten a peek under the kimono, you know, behind the, the, the velvet rope here as to the, the intricacies of these contracts. Now they know. Future bidders now know. Fox is saying, boy, it's going to be hard to ring the value now. Folks know how the secret sauce is made. I want to go back. It's like what you guys were saying and what Evan was saying. Why can't you just piecemeal it together? Well, you can, and that may be. But if you're looking for the easier transaction, and this is being handled by Allen & Company and and Chase, the easier transaction would be to find, let's say, a Sinclair that has the broadcast expertise, that have more stations than anybody else, 
and perhaps a private equity company that'll provide some capital. They get together, make a $18, $19 billion bid and suck it all up. Okay, here's one deal, two bidders, boom, we're in, we make, make the transaction. Now to piecemeal each and every one of these, those are lots of different transactions, lots of different negotiations. You, you know, if you're going to make a deal, it's a lot easier to have one person at the table, one party, than have to break things up and have all these different little microtransactions. Difficult. Especially with the time limit. Especially with the time limit. So, yeah, I, and I get that, but I mean, this is complicated. You know, when you get into the the RSNs, I mean, th this whole thing has been complicated. So maybe they don't have, by design, this is going to be segmented. Yeah, but, but Fox also said, by the way, I mean, you really, they got to get this transaction done, but Disney can't be liking the fact that also in the filing, they're like, well, we don't see RSNs as this big growth business anymore. This is not where we want to be focused. So you've got that comment. You've got the overexposed and sort of everybody knows the details. Uh, really tough for Disney now to make this work. They will eventually, but you got to wonder, does it hurt price? So before we, we move off the RSNs, Scott, the, I mean, originally the thought was this entire package could be, you know, $21, 22 yeah, $20 billion. billion dollar deal, yeah. What do you think oh, man, when it all me. settles, if it goes piecemeal, are we looking at 16? Are we looking at a little bit something between one, that? One what? banker who's seen it all and is involved told me, with a few expletives, this is not a $20 billion transaction. But let us not forget, something's worth what somebody's willing to pay. So if somebody wants it pretty badly, like the S-Network, you know, you've got Mubadala, you've got Redbird Capital talking with Amazon in there, perhaps Sinclair. You know, Yes-Network may go off at like $6 billion. That's this, the crown jewel of it all is, is Yes sure. and the Yankees. So let's see what that number is. That'll probably happen first, would be my guess. Um, but he said, this is probably a $15, $16 billion transaction mm -hmm. all in. But this is only one part of media. Now we're talking about, Eben, you've got the fangs involved in, in bidding on, let's say, Amazon Thursday night. There's testing involved. There's sports wagering involved. There's the linears involved. Like As Brian Rollup told us on a recent show, we want big audience. We're not going to take more money just to experiment. We want big audience. So we're getting close to that 2021, 2022. Things are gearing up for when these big time rights are coming coming up. And it's going to be very interesting. It says on the sheet here, I'm supposed to set up topic two. So I'm going to do it this way. Sports betting. <laughs> nobody. And I mean nobody. And they're going to watch. I'm going to get some direct tweets from this. I, I know this. But for my money, if I need an expert on sports betting in the media, I am going to Novi underscore Williams. I can't tell you how many times I look to my left when something's going on oh, in yeah. this space. And I say, Eben? What do I need to know? And it's okay. I'm not ashamed to admit I, I don't know much about that. I mean, I'm educating myself as we go, but this guy drills down deep. Like, and I make fun of him a lot because it's, e <laughs> because it's easy. He's got a terrible Twitter handle. He's got a terrible hairstyle. Oh, no. but, he's, <laughs> but, but he certainly knows his world of sports betting. So you tell me. You know the players. How about you that know where everybody intro? stands. How about that? You tell, and I, boy, your mother's going to really, you know the word Cavell? Mm. Ask your mother. Your mother's going to cavell about that one. <laughs> you, you tell me where 2019 is headed in sports betting. Yeah, so 2018, obviously an insane year. Supreme Court ruled. We had eight states legalized in the aftermath. 2019 is going to be, A, a lot more states, and B, as more states come online, there's more critical mass. You're going to start seeing this bleed into national advertising. You know, there's huge money there. You're going to see leagues starting to sign uh, exclusive data deals. You know, those are could be $100 million deals, if not, if not 
lot more. You're going to start seeing it on broadcasts, you know, announcers that are talking openly about the spread or the over-under or what's at stake here. There's, there's a you. lot going on. Question for you. Sean McManus at the Super Bowl media day at CBS yep. said there will be no mention of sports betting, of odds, of anything on the Super Bowl broadcast, which I was a little surprised. Novi Williams. Hmm. Is this the last time the head of the sports division, and he's news division, but the head of the sports division of the network showing the Super Bowl makes that comment? I don't think the last time. But oh, really? I'm surprised. I would have said yes. No, I mean, right now, you know, the what, probably a, a fifth of the national audience for the Super Bowl is going to be in a place where you can gamble legally this year. Yeah, ne- but next no year mention, it won't be nothing, half. not even a mention. Next like, year oh, it by won't the be way, half. the over under, the nothing. The reason why leagues and t and and TV you know, broadcasters don't want to do that is that when you do that, you're talking to someone in Texas or California, you're essentially advertising the black market, right? The way that people interact with the spread, if you're living in Texas right now, is that you're you're gambling offshore, right? You're gambling with a with an illegal bookie. So, so you don't cater to your New Jersey customers at all? As you know, every broadcast has, has local spots. You yeah. know, if you live in New Jersey and you're watching NFL games, you know which those local spots are because they're the, they're the MGM <laughs> and they're the William Hill and they're the DraftKings ads. I think it's going to take a, maybe a little while maybe another year before you know big events like the super bowl do address this but there's no question that the creep is happening and once new york gets online once texas gets online once california gets online everything is going to change we're not talking about we're talking about the number of states you said but frankly with all due respect to the smaller states if i'm william hill if i'm Fanduel, if i'm DraftKings, this is about new york and california yeah you got to have it I mean that and maybe that, a little Florida and a little Illinois and Texas. So when but. when does revenue for let's just say DraftKings when does revenue go over fifty percent? Are those two states enough from sports betting? I mean, because right now it's still daily fantasy. It's about sports betting was what twenty five percent of DraftKings revenue about now. So we had DraftKings uh, CEO Jason Robbins on this exact show a couple months ago, and he said, you know, we asked him this exact question: At what point do you become? a gambling company right. and not a daily fantasy company. He said it was going to take two or three big states in the interim between that comment and now we've had Pennsylvania come online. That's a pretty big state. Uh, Swing yes, state. I would certainly think that <laughs> that if we were to get New York in 2019, which seems likely given where that legislature is, and one of the other big ones, Illinois certainly seems maybe the most next likely of, of the big ones, I think those two... Uh, those two states would probably put DraftKings over the top. All right. Well, I can, then I got to go back to something you guys said. If you have executives saying we are not going to mention anything about gambling during the Super Bowl, that's going to happen pretty much forever because I'm sure a state like Utah will never approve this. So all it takes is one state to say no, and then you still have that in. Now, you ha- yes, you'll have the local spots coming Utah in. Utah might be in, by the way. I'm not, uh, you know, that, may, that may surprise <laughs> you there. Would, I Utah? think Utah will be the last if, if it happens. Yeah, yeah. If it happens. <laughs> I don't know. I've, so all I've been to Utah. I joined the drinking club, remember? Uh, Five well, bucks. Yeah, we talked see, about this. That's a whole different story. The value of data. Also going to be Massive. a major story 2019. Massive. You know, and, and I, I'm going to go to the dark side of what you were talking about, Evan, earlier about gambling. And many moons ago, 20, 30 years ago, when I played poker. I thought you were saying when you bowled to 299. Well, no, that that's an, I cried during that day. <laughs> but when, back in the Detroit area where 
you had poker, there was a place in Canada. Oh, wait, we're talking about when you say the Detroit area where you played poker, like, is this like some kind of speakeasy? Well, that's what I'm getting at. It's like now in Canada, in Windsor, you could play legally. You go over the bridge, you could play legally. I've done it many times. (laughs) There were many people, now, and this was before the casinos were set up. Yeah. There were many people who I knew that had the, let's call the, back alley games where they would go to somebody's house and someone would take a rake. Do you believe bars and partaking this, in the underbelly? Well, I, I'm just Bar. saying. I, I, there's a reason. There's a, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, but We have 22 minutes left in the that, show. <laughs> but, but the casino was quote-unquote casino at the time that would call and drop dime on these people and then the game would bust up and then they were arrested, this and that, whatever. What I'm wondering now Colin, is, I want bad, bad Leroy Brown playing right now. <laughs> this is what we need, right? We need it under, this should be the music under the conversation. Bad, bad, I can see this, where now the casinos, where it is legal, and all of a sudden you got Benny the Bookie. Are they going to drop dime on Benny the Bookie because of this? It's certainly possible. The, the limited conversations I've had with bookies in, in the New York area and the New Jersey area is that they're not particularly worried about the legalized side of things. They still offer services that DraftKings never will. You can bet on credit. You can it obscures the the charges on your on your credit card. You know, there's a lot of things that you know. The, sometimes the the margins are better if you're betting with Bob the Bookie than, than if you're betting with uh, with DraftKings or MGM. There's still I think there's still an opportunity out there for for bookies who are who have are entrenched customers. But the majority of of new betters out there in a legal market like New Jersey are going to be going through the legal routes. Now, we are going to talk about franchise values. Now, before we get to the sports, though, no better franchise right now than Fortnite, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Your kid loves it. My kid loves it. Got to give a shout-out to Snazzy Baton. That's right. My son has won his first single, whatever it is, the 100-player thing. He got his first victory. You should have seen him running around the house. It, I n- have not seen him this excited, even after winning like the hockey tournaments, whatever. This thing he was trying, he read a book on how to get better, and wow. then he won, and my lord, it was a celebration. But there's a reason why the NFL wanted to join Fortnite, because this is where the kids are. And everybody gunning, the pro sports teams are all trying to figure out, and it's everything we've already discussed on this special Martin Luther King Day edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports that we've been talking about. It's what's next. How do you get the kids? It's about the mobile. It's about being on Twitch. Uh, this is how, what's going to drive the franchise values moving on. And the big question, at least in my eyes, is are sports able to capture that, right? Is is, is there has is the there attention been a, span there? Yeah. Has, has there been a shift enough in, in the way that, that younger folks interact that sports is just no longer hot priority. What, what nine-year-old is going to watch a three-hour football We game? heard Brian Rolap a couple of weeks ago on this show, the, the money guy behind the NFL, say that they are convinced that you know they are going to be able to tap into this audience. Uh, and I am less, less certain that, and it's not a football thing necessarily, I'm just less certain that live sports is going to hold the same cachet once you go to where they are that they did for, for generations like my own. Hey, Bart, even at Novi Williams' advanced age now, he's crossed the threshold. <laughs> even though he doesn't moisturize the, the crow's feet, you know, He's starting to get up there. He's like, not like I don't look at Novi Williams anymore and think 
you know, young hipster. You know, I, I don't think that anymore. I'm not. He's, yeah, he, right. I'm not. He, he's you, getting there. Are but you he has starting a, to think Neutrogena? Is that what you're yeah, trying well, to say? I mean, that should have been, you know, right, somebody right. should have been getting that for him for <laughs> holidays, but whatever. But the question is, did they lose it already? Like baseball's trying to figure out how to get younger. Football's trying to figure out how to get younger. And they're, they're going to where they are. The question is, can you monetize? One of the questions is a two, three, four minute video clip of the NFL enough. Can you monetize that? For this next generation, or is there some point come where they're just you can't replace the viewers that aren't there right now? We'll have at some point this year, we'll have another esports executive on. And this is a, a, cur- a perfect question for the esports folks because they esports is where the kids are right now, that there are gaudy viewership numbers. However, they're having trouble even monetizing those viewers within esports themselves. Uh, it's just a tougher generation to reach. It's so fragmented uh, that that even something like competitive video games, where people are consuming them for hours and hours on end, uh, there's no easy way to, to get them in the way that, that older generations were kind of but captured darn, by but, advertising. But they scale globally. Sure. Yeah, they scale globally. But that's you're going to have billions and billions of viewers. But if they're all using Adblock on their computers or they're yeah. all kind of immune to whatever the advertising you're using on them, they're, they're, they're more you're or less up a worthless. great point, yeah. though. With the technology and whether Amazon's involved, we know they have Thursday night, the value of each eyeball. If you can get, and we talked about this again, too, that if the technology and the direct advertising works, if you know enough about Michael Barr, says, hey, I need a new set of snow tires. You've, you've been on Google looking around for snow tires, and I can direct ad, if I can go right at you with snow tire deals, and this this is what you should get. If you can get individual ads for, for, for all the viewers, even if you have fewer eyeballs, the value of each one goes up. But they so, kind of do that now in a way. Well, they're trying. They, they're trying. It's not quite where it needs to be. Like I've told you the, the story that after I bought the sandals for my kid, it was like for six months later, I'm still getting ads for sandals. Yeah. Like you need to know, all right, move on. They're done. The purchase has been made. But what happens if an entire generation is so skeptical of ads that no matter how well targeted they are, they're not clicking on them? That's an right? excellent. Well, or, or they have technology that means that yeah. the ad that is aimed for them never reaches well, them because attention. it's blocked. What do roll apps say? The second screen, the commercials come on. They're trying to keep two boxes exactly. fine. But yeah. are people looking at Twitter? If they're on Twitter, if they're if they're then commercial hits and they're they're messaging with their friends. Yeah. What, what's the attention span? Well, but Are no, they effective? Now, now, wait a minute. That That's an old problem. I mean, when you just have you're, the old analog old TV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an old problem. It's like the moment that the, the sports went off and you went to the commercial, the folks are going to the restroom in their house or they're getting something to eat or something, whatever. Then they come back. So this is the same problem that you've got. It's just a different version of it. I guess the bottom line here, guys, as media changes, as gambling becomes more pervasive, all these things we're talking about, reaching this younger demographic, going to where the future of sports fandom is, is one of the biggest and trickiest problems facing people in 2019. One thing that will happen in 2019 is that you will have players retire from their respective sports, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey. And pro players, they have to adjust to life after they leave the game, and sometimes it can be tough. Scott Rochelle is the president and CEO of the National Basketball Retired Players Association. We spoke about preparing former players for the next chapter of their lives when they step away from the court, including in the business world. Here's what he had to say. When our players leave the game of basketball, you know, they're in their late 30s, early 40s, and, you know, they're they're not retiring, they're just transitioning career-wise. And because of the career they've had in basketball, they have a brand. They have a, an identity, and that really lends itself to entrepreneurial ventures because the players want to take what they've built off the court 
and and take that and transition that into something that works in the business world. And what we've learned is that for former professional athletes aren't going to go directly into an office setting. They're not going to sit in a cubicle like everyone else. They're they're going to want to be out in, in in the community, growing their brand and, and and really impacting the world. And they want you know they always want to do it at the same level they did when they were playing professionally. That's not always you know possible. But what we've done is we've given them the opportunities to build businesses, to continue their businesses, and develop with skills through our partnership with the Northwestern Kellogg uh, School of Business that comes in and gives these guys and women nuts and bolts business training that they probably wouldn't have received because they've been so focused on basketball their entire lives. Even if they were a business major in college, they, they've been focused on basketball. So a lot of the things that your average business person, entrepreneur knows were missed by the players. And so we're going back and kind of backfilling the education and the knowledge component of it because, you know, our, our players are very well suited for entrepreneurial ventures that really capitalize on their brands. That's got to be hard for a former NBA player because they're so used to being on the court. They're so used to the lights. They're so used to the, the press coverage. And all of a sudden, one day, bam, that's it. That, that's got to be a hard transition. It absolutely is. The, the transition comes with identity crisis because they've been known as a basketball player their entire lives. That's all they've done. That's all they've identified with. And when you take that away, the player is now searching for their next identity. Who are they? What is their value to society? What is their value to their family, their wife, their kids? And so, you know, through our association, we work very closely with different partners to help players identify those things early on, even while they're playing. So the players understand, hey, when I'm done playing basketball, these are things that I'm interested in. So, you know, that type of work is very, very important very early on because once a player leaves the game and now they're searching for that identity, that purpose, uh, and sometimes just a way to spend their time, the, the panic that sets in can be a huge distraction. They really can. And so what we're doing now is giving players the opportunity, whether it be in the summertime during the off season or once they're once they've already transitioned, to get involved in our programs, say for example, with again, I mentioned the Kellogg School of Management program where there the Kellogg professors teach business and entrepreneurship, or different ways that we can get involved with coaching, broadcasting. We have a broadcasting boot camp for players. Where, where players can go straight from the playing days and, and go straight into the broadcasting booth and share their knowledge of basketball. But, again, you can't just do it automatically. Players just can't step off the court and become a great broadcaster. There's learning and there's education involved. And that's where we come in to provide that education. That was Scott Rochelle, the president and CEO of the National Basketball Retired Players Association. And we went on to talk about players going to the broadcast booth and it's not an easy transition and I think about mean Joe Green in the NFL that's what I brought up to him obviously one heck of a football player and then they tried to put him in the broadcast booth and God bless it didn't work out very well mean Joe Green. yeah you remember that of course I remember I mean, you remember when mean he went Joe to the broadcast Green. I mean yeah. I know that but when he went to the broadcast yeah I, but I'm a lot more encouraged these days Bart because I got to tell you when we have our events around the country and we do a venture capital tech and athlete I mean Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics how old is he Evan 20 21 20 21 years old 
this kid's got it together. He knows he's got to use the fame that he has right now because he needs a career after basketball, whether it be a 40, 50-year horizon when he's done playing. So many more athletes understand and want to engage in outside businesses right now, and they're getting involved while they're playing. They're not waiting for that retirement day and then say, ooh, now, now what do I do? They are engaged. You have players making choices of where they want to go play when they are a little bit older based on what owners can I have access to? What part of the country can I have access to? Uh, we, Andre Iguodala, who's been on the show, said he chose the Warriors because he wanted to hang out w with Joe Lacob and be in Silicon Valley. So yeah, there's just a much more sophisticated process and mindset with pro athletes these days, even at the age of 19, 20, 21. Social media has also made it so much easier for an athlete to cultivate and control his or her own brand while playing. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster seems like a perfect example. A, a pretty decent NFL player, young guy, plays for the Steelers, uh, but through social media has been able to really build himself into someone that has a large following totally outside and irrespective of what he's doing on the field. The ability for athletes to do that kind of in their side time, and as Scott's saying, with a bigger emphasis and, and knowing more about the business world at, in, at their younger time, I think he's going to serve athletes significantly more. Michael, I don't know how much you and Scott, uh, Scott Rochelle, touched on the health aspect of the re retired players associations. But, you know, as we get into this era, you know, less in basketball, but certainly other sports where a lot of these retired players, you know, who, who played during eras where, you know, leagues weren't and players and doctors weren't as aware of the dangers health-wise for them, uh, I do imagine that funding uh, athletes and their health care, retired players and their health care is going to become a bigger and bigger issue for all these groups. Well, that was back from the era. Oh, man up. You know, just mean Joe Green era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, put a little Robitussin on it. You'll be I, good. You I, know. I got I got I got dinged up. I got well, what was it? You know, I got rung little, my bell. I rung my bell. Yeah. yeah. And right back in the game you went. Yeah, I remember seeing Tony Dorsett. I was watching that Monday night game. I mean, he got hit so hard it jarred the helmet up up above his head yeah and now look at what Tony Dorsett is experiencing now he's you know memory loss from so many concussions and these groups are funded you know the National Basketball Retired Players Association is funded kind of through the CBA jointly between the NBA and the NBPA this is a you know the we talk about overall league revenue obviously football NFL is much higher revenue than the NBA but the the number of retired players in basketball is so much smaller than the number of retired players in football you know there's fewer teams rosters are 15 versus 53 uh the, the sport is is less dangerous probably from a from a health standpoint um so in a lot of ways i would imagine that the the, the basketball retired players association has a bit of an easier lift than you have when you have so thousands and thousands more retired football players but oddly enough though and kudos to michelle roberts for this she made it a priority oddly enough in the sport where yeah, you she, don't have it as as prevalent <laughs> she right. made sure that the players her. of today right. understood that when you blink, in the blink of an eye, you're going to be yesteryear. Nobody's really going to care about you. Hey, remember when that guy, I mean, it comes pretty fast. As we look ahead, you know, continuing kind of the theme of the entire show here, which is looking ahead at 2019, we're going to hear increasing conversation in all four leagues about potential looming labor issues you know the cbas are going to start expiring in the next couple of years uh basketball i think is the last one but hockey certainly seems like it's gearing up for a rough one football may be gearing up for a rough one baseball you know free agency right now is a mess 
They might have a rough one. There's going to be a lot of talk about things like this, about about the kind of priorities outside of just the piece of the revenue pie that players want to get after. It's how much do they want to work on funding salaries for for rookies, you know, who are not at a place at the table not at for, all. The, for the union. <laughs> yeah. And ideas like, you know, retired Health players who aren't necessarily right. at the table there, but Discipline these guys will be punishment. at some point. Discipline and punishment in the NFL, for sure. There's going to, you know, data, athlete tracking, who controls. Privacy. Privacy, things like that. There, there are a lot of topics that are going to come up for all of these leagues in the next couple of years. It makes me think of the NFL's in Damakon suit. Now, yes, when you think of his play, you think of like, oh my goodness, what is he doing on the field? And then I remember we were talking about in Damakon suit and all of the stuff that he's been doing off the field and all of his uh, businesses that he's trying and investments that he's trying to prepare for. And you realize it's like it's a totally different mindset than what you see on the football. Uh, you brought up Indomitian Sue. I think I'm going to try and I'm going to give Mark Patrick off a call because mm. I know Indomitian Sue wants to work with Mark Patrick yeah. off and yeah. he's sort of bringing athletes together uh, for for investments. So I think that'd be a fun conversation. I'm going to call Mark and see yeah. uh, when, when he can come and join us and, and kind of share what's going on behind the curtain with all these athletes. Sure. It seems certainly seems like the athletes that we've had on, you know, Richard Sherman was on the show this year or last year, 2018. Yeah. That they all kind of say that there is a bigger emphasis on, you know, just in terms of locker room conversation, right? I imagine if you were to listen to what the Warriors are talking about in the locker room, a lot of it is business related just because of the guys who are there. You have been listening to a special Martin Luther King day edition of the Bloomberg business of sports and on the regular stuff. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. And you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Eben Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me at Twitter at Soshnick. And thank you very much for joining us. And please tune in next time when we continue to speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. Woo-hoo. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. 